Welcome to D&D Journey of the 5th Edition. Join us in our campaign and shenanigans as we explore the subterranean labyrinths, plunder hordes of treasure, battle legendary monsters. This podcast will be following our gaming group and the adventures of these characters, as well as a few guests from time to time. Join us as we start a new campaign and our journey to experience the best, and maybe the worst, in the 5th edition of Dungeons & Dragons. Hi, this is Kelly, a.k.a. Trixie from Ragnarok and Roll, a sign to Ragnarok's story, and Tilda Wimblewick from D&D Journey of the 5th Edition. First off, I would just like to say thank you to everyone for listening to our varied adventures, as well as for rating us on iTunes and RPGpodcast.com. If you haven't rated us yet, we would greatly appreciate it if you could. And if you're looking for more ways to support our efforts, we are now on Patreon, a great site where you can help us continue making more podcasts, as well as some special surprises for our patrons. If you can, please look us up at www.patreon.com cppn. Every little bit helps. And again, thank you for listening. Hey guys, Jim here from Creative Play and Podcast Network. Yesterday, I got a treat in the mail. I backed a few months ago the Tomb of Beasts from Cobalt Press. And yesterday, I got my hands on my copy. But more importantly, I've got a special interview coming up with two of the folks that were behind the design crew, Dan and Wolfgang. Alright guys, hope you enjoy this. Here you go. By the way, I'd like to congratulate you guys for having an awesome uh, release with the Tomb of Beasts. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> Be happy. Yeah. I mean, there's there's another four people on the team, like the core team, that, but I assume that that's too many for one podcast. Uh, hey, if we, if we wanted a six-hour podcast, we could do it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, for the record, I sent Wolfgang a picture. I put uh, the Monster Manual, 5th edition, on underneath yours of the tomb, took a picture, and it's like twice the freaking size. Yeah, yeah, that's actually one of the very first things I did when I got my whole uh, my hands on a physical book. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at this, you know, it's funny because I opened my box when I got here, and the wife immediately took the tomb, so I looked through layers, and she's yep. like, I love this artwork. And of course, she, the art is phenomenal. And, and she is a huge fan of, of anything Viking, so of course she's going through and going, oh, look, Valkyries, oh, look, Einar, oh, look at all this cool stuff. <laughs> Yeah, there's a chunk of sort of Norse and Northlands and Viking uh, monsters because, you know, they're cool and they never get enough love. Uh, So we we went for a bunch of those. The grave spirits in particular are pretty nasty. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Thankfully, they're super Midgard. (laughs) And they're super Midgard, so that works, too. Yep. The page count is like 432 pages, right? So it's just going to be big, mm-hmm. and we wanted to pack in everything, uh, including some 20 monsters written by backers of the project. Um, so, yeah. It, that it was a very some, cool addition. Yeah, they came up with some uh, truly twisted stuff. The Vile Barber, um, the Corpse Bound is one of them, the Flutter Flesh. I'm trying to remember them all. Oh, the time-traveling one, the Eon Drifter. With, uh, yeah, oh the Ionic Drifter. That was that was from one of the uh, the contests, I think, wasn't it? 
But it was no, one of the, it, the backers who wrote that one as well. It was one of the backers who wrote it. Uh, he might have updated it from the contest. But, I mean, the mechanics of, hey, let's do a tiny bit of time travel in this monster and let's keep it to a page. I mean, the development on that went back and forth and the language had to be super crisp. So I think it turned out fantastic. But it was one of those where we, we went around a little bit to make sure that it was going to be really playable as well as like a really cool idea. Yeah, concept uh, as well as, you know, conceivable. Yeah, so, yeah, they're adrift in time. They can hop around. Uh, they can create duplicates of themselves. They have a few few bits of technology that aren't found wherever it is they've shown up. So, yeah, they're the Wayfaring Stranger writ really large, and I think they make great NPCs. They don't have to be pure evil. They they just sort of tend to go mad over time. <laughs> yeah, that was, no, <laughs> that was from one of the backers. And the art turned out, Brian Syme did good on that. So having those creatures really brought a lot of variety as well. And I love the level spread, too. Oh, yeah. We tilted that high quite deliberately. And, in fact, Dan was kind of brought in to do some of the higher-level stuff. A lot of the higher-level yeah. stuff. <laughs> yeah, I wrote uh, quite a few high-challenge-rating legendary critters for this book, which was it was a challenge, and it got a little exhausting over time, but it was super fun. And I'm I couldn't be more pleased with how they turned out. The uh, the, the yeah, yeah. lords and ladies in particular. Oh man, I love doing those guys and seeing them paired with that artwork. Oh, oh so yeah. cool. <laughs> Funny you say that because I just opened the book up to that section because I was going to ask you about it later on. <laughs> well, oh, the very good. Well, I could I could talk about them a lot. So. <laughs> yeah, and the art is by Ava Wiederman, right? Who does art for like I don't know Hearthstone and. Paizo and any number of bigger outlets. Her and she seemed to have a real touch for the Fey uh, nobles, lords and ladies. I'm I'm real happy with how it turned out. Both the, the powers are great, and you don't want to mess with them. And I think that that's something that's been missing in D and D for a long time. Is like, well, we've got demons, we've got devils, we've got giants, we've got dragons. But Tumble Beast actually has a a pretty big helping of Fey. Yeah. Um, because unfortunately, they kind of got glazed over. Yeah, they do. Uh, well, they're in every mythos, right? Yeah. Um, there's always some fair folk or small people or people on the other side. I think we even have a Brazilian kind of fey creature in the volume, which I thought was cool. Um, but yeah, they needed a little more attention, so we did that in addition to the dragons and golems. Yeah, Dan, yeah, which one is your favorite? You let me let me yeah, ask. You did all the favorites. Sure. Oh, which of the favorites is my favorite? Yeah. Oh man, that's like trying to. It's like asking me which of my kids is my favorite. Um, <laughs> let's see. Uh, I I have kind of a soft spot for the Queen of Night and Magic. Um, yeah. I, I sort of fell in love with that concept when it was first when when I first got a look at it in uh, in Courts of the Shadow Fae, and when we first started talking about this. Um, just the idea of a super high-level spellcaster, fairy queen, kind of pulling on the dark side of Galadriel a little bit, and uh, trying to make her feel like the mistress of magic, where if you come at her with magic, you're on her turf, and you've got an uphill battle for you. And I think I think some of these things turned out really well to help bring that feeling home. So I'm I'm super pleased with how she turned out. Yeah, I don't want to go up against her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and, I mean, it's part of that level spread, too, right? Like, the, 
the Faylor Delady start around what challenge twelve or fourteen and go up to twenty ish. Yeah, uh, Queen, of, Queen of Night and Magic is yeah. twenty one. Yeah. Yep. I think the uh, I think yeah. the lowest challenge rating is the Bear King, and he kicks us off at twelve. And then yeah, it was either Bear King goes or up from there. Yeah. yeah. And of course, he's got a great yeah. thuggish picture. <laughs> yeah, old honey paws. <laughs> Let the bear have it. So his yeah, <laughs> what what we need to do next, of course, is get some of those adventures working that, that match up with these monsters like Wrath of the River King or Courts of the Shadow Fae or, or something new. I think that's probably a fair bet that we'll be looking at one of those. Oh, um, heck yeah. Yeah, that'll be a good time. Okay. So, let me go so you were you were you were talking about some of the uh, the backer submissions, and I was yes. super excited to to help kind of vet and winnow down the massive pile of those that we got to the winning twenty, and I was really happy with just the massive spread of creature types and concepts that came in because I mean mm-hmm. they ran they ran the gauntlet of real world myth to you know stuff that you could tell that the author has been using at home and refined for this and, and just you know whatever weird stuff they pulled out of the dark recesses of their brain and uh and turned loose on on D and D players. Uh like the cobble swarm. I love the cobble swarm. <laughs> yeah I, I have a soft spot for that one too and it's it's just weird and quirky and reminds me of like first edition D and D stuff, right? Um, yep. Because it doesn't necessarily make a whole lot of logical sense, but describing it to players always gets a what? Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it gets a reaction. So, um, so that's nice. There's some fire demons too that I kind of have the same feeling about. Uh, mm, yeah. I think I mean the mock. Makal Bell? I think so. He's in Malak Bell? Yeah. That's it. Thank you. Um, which, you know, it's just a fire demon. Uh, except that it's... Well, I don't know how much I want to spoil for it, but um, <laughs> it's got an aura. And it's got a mission. And that's, yeah. that's enough to take it from, you know, just it, it looks kind of a, like just a fire demon, but it's not exactly just a fire demon. <laughs> right, right. So I, I also like those monsters that we've got that have sort of two layers to them, right? There's the initial impression you've got, uh, and then there's what you discover during combat about them, uh, or their powers or, or where they're coming from. Um so yeah, the development was both on the mechanical side sometimes and on the, the lore side. We've gotten a lot of feedback from backers and people who've picked it up. That they're like, I just read through it and I, you know, <laughs> was inspired to do this adventure or swap in something in Curse of Strahd or change oh. my next next night's uh, plans. Are you kidding? Uh, last night, uh, Wednesday night, my Lady Knights of Adventure. It's, it's our all lady D and D group. Went uh-huh. after a section of a Earth quest where they're basically dealing with a bunch of Earth stuff, and literally, like the mold creature, the moss creature, would have been perfect for the mold cave that they were in because they they fought yeah. some some mold creatures. And I'm like, oh, I wish I could have added that in if it would have just showed up at my door day early. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll be there for next time. But yeah, uh, I mean, a couple of the monsters are super niche, but for the most part, they fit into any fantasy 
adventure pretty smoothly. They're um, they're meant to, right? They're meant to be yeah. broadly yeah. useful. Um, even like I mentioned, the Brazilian forest creature. It's like, well, it's not particularly aimed at the jungle or or anything like that. It fits into any any forest environment and. I don't know. We also have a lot of these sort of lower challenge creatures. Dan, you know how hard it is to design some of those. Well, yeah. You, I mean, have you don't have a giant pile of spells or, or huge damage reactions and any of that stuff you can work with. When you're doing a challenge rating one quarter or one half, you have to work with, you know, basic attacks and basic stats and try to make it interesting somehow. You could throw a reaction in if you really wanted to. It just can't be very good. Sure. <laughs> right, right. You, uh, you, you, have a, you have a much more narrow scope to design. Right, right. When you're doing the Queen of Night and Magic, it's like, well, let me consult the full <laughs> volume of spells and counterspell and a few other things. Yeah. yeah. But when you're doing Arena Hedgehog Folk, you've got you know just a couple little things you can play with to try and make them interesting and, and differentiate them from some of the more standard humanoid races. Yeah, we have a bunch of humanoids in here, and I like monsters who talk, uh, even if what they're saying is, get out or I'll kill you. Yeah. More interesting than, you know, okay, it's a crocodile thing, but any monster that can communicate gives gives the dungeon master a chance to say whatever he or she wants to say um, and chew the scenery a little. So I think, I think the number of humanoids is a is a plus. Yeah, I mean, hell, mm-hmm. just look at the gunpowder uh, gunpowder ghoul, Intel nineteen. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one of those things of yeah. it can come up and communicate as it's going to rip the group a new one. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> uh, yeah, the ghouls get a whole section, right? Because that's mm-hmm. they're a big non-player race in my home campaign and. I've been writing about them and running them for 15 years or something. So it's like, yeah, let's do five or six variants and make it interesting. Um, so that's everything from the, the lowest tier to the emperor. And um, and yeah, the bone powder girls who are, gosh, how to put it. They're, <laughs> they just don't look like much, right? They're kind of like, Demi liches in that they're they're pretty dusty and dry and they kind of look frail, but it's a mistake to judge them by appearances. Oh, there's uh, there's a couple of good things that are just like that in this book. I mean, yeah, and we try to keep the art interesting for all of it. But yeah, what are yeah. which ones? Do you uh, my personal three t- top three creatures that I came up with so far, we're just checking through it yesterday when I got it, was the of course the cobble swarm because that's just a fun monster to throw at your players. Then. Yeah. Then my next one was going to be the Dune Mimic. Mimic. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then, of course, followed by the Oozasis. Uh, yeah. Which... <laughs> so it seems that you like the, the surprise monsters. Uh, that's the kind of GM I am. <laughs> yep. Yep. Well, there's, you know, if you got 400 monsters, you've got to have several that are ambushy and surprised and disguised. Uh, and those three are great. And certainly there's... Yeah, there's room to surprise players with a lot of it. I mean, just the fact that you've got, you've basically doubled the ranks of monsters um, available yeah. to to the DM. That's a surprise in itself, right? And we, yeah, that's... I keep hearing this from, from people. It's like, ah, I'm bringing it to the game and they'll never know what hit them. <laughs> <laughs> no, probably not. 
Are you this kidding? Is where they start. Uh, so they start looking up how how does Arcana work? Can I learn some creature lore from this? Uh, <laughs> is there a skill that's going to help us out with this? Um, the answer is that's always a good not. thing. Yeah, so. I I completely agree. I'm I, I'm loving and and one of our group, the group are so heavily relying on the lore skills now before they engage things. So they'll be uh. like, okay, we see it. Oh crap! Somebody do a lore roll real quick because of course. It's a magic castle, and everything is based on something. So it's like something has a vulnerability. And, of course, it's right. now making them do the time to find out before they just jump right into it. Or one That's of the group smart. members, when they, they get ambushed, will fall back and immediately do the skill for their first action. It's like, I rack my head to figure out how to beat this. Yep. And then, of course, I, hopefully I, the group has the ability that they need to you know damage it. Right. Or that the kicker. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I think there's, you know, there's a place for, hey, I know this, and, you know, I'm a heroic character, and we've fought these hill giants before. We know what we're up against. Um, but a big part of the fun for me early on when I was first role-playing was just, what the heck is that? What the heck is that? What the heck is that? Um and it's hard to bring that sense of wonder back, right? When you've seen every monster in like three editions. Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm kind of proud that that Cobalt Press has has reached into a few other mythologies and taken some new directions on the dragons. And there's very little here that is going to be immediately obvious to players, like long-time experienced players um, <laughs> just out of, you know, past editions or the like. And it's always a challenge, particularly if your playgroup um, consists of not only veteran players, but if you rotate who runs the game, because then it's right. like, you know, I, I've seen some groups talk about, oh, I, I prefer my players never to look at the monster manual so they'll be surprised. That's not really an option with my group because at least three of us run games, right? So right. you're going to try to pry my monster manual. You're going to have to do it out of my cold, dead fingers. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so, so having these sorts of options show up, this means, yeah, exactly. Like I can pull out new tricks that just weren't there before and I would have had to put in extra prep time to reskin a stone giant into something else so they wouldn't just realize, oh, it is this armor class, this many good points, and watch out for the rocks, right? Definitely. Right. I know. I've actually had uh, some of my gamers when I've left the you know left the recorder going in the room for a podcast, and also I'm listening to the episode later and they're like, "Quick, look it up!" And they're whipping out their phone and looking up. It's like, it's got this, that, and this, that. And like, oh, you dirty little cheaters! When I listen to <laughs> you spine. It's like you. I'm gonna have to kill you later for that. <laughs> yeah. Well, but, you know, players want every edge they can get, and mm-hmm. and there's a real sense of knowledge is power, um, and so tilting the balance toward don't read the monster manual, is it's tough to enforce, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, pe- people want to... So, sometimes when they r- roll really good skills, I'll, like, hand them the book and say, you know all of this. You rolled amazing. Yay. <laughs> all right. Yeah, it's nice when they succeed. Um <laughs> So uh, to k- kind of start out at the beginning of, for those who haven't had a chance to get their hands on this beautiful book, from your guys' point of view, what is the Tomb of Beasts? Oh. It's basically the fifth edition 
unofficial monster manual from Cobalt Press, right? It's 400 new monsters that we have picked from 10 years of Cobalt Press monster design and designed from the ground up and play-tested heavily and illustrated lavishly. It's like all the best that we could pour into this book. And it was kickstarted, so we had enough money for art and good printing and good binding. Um, but mainly, it's like, I love monsters. I want to do a big book of monsters. The Monster Man was the first RPG thing I ever bought, like in 1980, right? And I have never gotten to do a hardcover monster book as publisher at Cobalt Press. So it's like, it's time. We're, we got to do this. And so it's for 5th edition D&D, start to finish, available at the Cobalt store and better game stores. Um, yeah, I mean, that's what it is, right? We we really wanted another monster manual, and it became apparent we had to do it ourselves. Yeah, that's and that's something that the, uh, the, the community, certainly online, has been clamoring for for a long time. One of the things I see most often is they really want an official monster manual, too, from Wizards. And now it looks like maybe this year they're finally going to get something along those lines. But, like, you know, this is this has been in the works for a while now, uh, and the Tome of Beasts is just going to be a fantastic companion to uh, to all your official material. Um, the Wolfgang pretty much hit the whole the whole thing with the process of where the Tome came from. But when I was brought on, I was pitched. Hey Dan, you remember all those adventures and all those things and this stuff we've been talking about and, and these things you've seen and all the monsters on the blog that have been on CobaltPress.com? We're uh, we're going to turn all of those into fifth ed and put them in a book. Uh, <laughs> you want to help? <laughs> so so I, I had to take a minute to uh, to recover my senses after thinking of how much work that was going to be and uh, and and the team that has worked on this is really phenomenal. Uh, who I believe yeah. it was uh, was it Chris Harris who did? I mean, he did he did the design on. It must be close to half the book. Yeah, it's pretty close to half, and he just turned through stuff, and he's just got it down right. Plus, I mean, let's give credit to Steve Winner as as the developer. I mean, he used to work at Wizards of the Coast. He may work there again. He's been a contractor there any number of times. Heck, he's the guy who signed Ed Greenwood. Uh, to write the Forgotten Realms. He was a creative director at TSR. So he knows his stuff. And he he did an analysis of all the monsters in the fifth edition monster manual um, by stats, by attacks, by defenses, by various categories, and just sliced and diced the data and said, okay, that's sort of the parameters that we're shooting at is a corpus of monsters like that. Um, and he put, a, he put that whole string of monster analysis up on the Cobalt Press blog for anybody to check out, all the charts and tables. Um, so there was a really deep dive early on for, you know, what's the power curve like um, beyond what's in the DMG, beyond what's in the build your own monsters sort of articles. Um, and so that was sort of the foundation. And then Chris built off of that. Um, and then Dan wrote just, a ton of monsters too, and Rodrigo, uh, Rodrigo Garcia Carmona brought was brought in mostly to do um, the the desert, jungle, sort of tropical monsters out of the Southlands bestiary. Um, and this is sort of my bias showing. Right, I I worked on Al Kadim back in the day. I wrote a bunch of things for that. And so I, like, I love the Arabian Nights and sort of more tropical monsters. And you'll find there's. I don't know, 50 of them maybe out of 400. 
Mm-hmm. They're not all super tropical. Some of them are just like the dune mimic can go anywhere, right? Uh, and and, you, and then you have a few from, from, from you know, African legend like the Asan Bosam and a few others yep. spooking around in there. Yeah. So, I mean, it's again, it was just a large team, um, four primary creature designers, um, three people on editing and development, um, and then a whole bunch of sort of backup designers who did a few creatures. Greg Marks did a couple, a handful. Um, yeah, so, I mean, you add it all up, and all of a sudden it's this, this giant volume. Um, it's the biggest thing we've ever printed. It, it's a beautiful... And my favorite thing to say about it is that you'll get tired holding it. You're going to need a lectern if you're going to use it at the table. <laughs> <laughs> You know, game books should all have a lectern, right? When you open the Dungeon Master's Guide, it should like open with a thud, and there should mm-hmm. be a leather bookmark, and there should be you know, an <laughs> imp on your lectern or a cat. And, yeah, that would be nice. I, I like a little Dungeon Mastery with drama. <laughs> hey, it, it gets their attention, you know? It, it gets them back at the moment of, oh, God, what's that? He's reaching for the big book. Yes. <laughs> Are you kidding? I'm sitting here at my desk with the book in my hand, my arm braced on the armrest to hold the uh-huh. weight. Because <laughs> it yeah. is a big, beautiful, beefy beast. Yes, it is. And, and I, um, it is. I just came across the Gypso, Gypso Sphinx. You guys uh-huh. actually even included 11 different riddles for the GMs. Oh, yeah. That, yeah, that, that was, was cool. That was feedback from our playtesters. They're like, well, these are Sphinxes. And you know, the one thing that bugs me about Sphinxes is... I can never make up the riddle on the fly, right, if they're mm-hmm. going to encounter this thing. And I said, you know, I love sphinxes, and you're right. I always have to prep them. So why don't we put the riddles right on the page? Pick one. Um, that is a, that's a great addition that came out of the playtest. That's, that's just so cool. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's yeah. beautiful synergy at work. Yeah, no, the playtest was mostly about the mechanics and the balancing, and oh my god, it was a total TPK, right? And, <laughs> and that was great information. But it wasn't all that. Some of it was, I don't really understand these, you know, I don't understand these culture notes, or why is there... Uh, there were just questions about the lore, and every time somebody raised one of those, it was it was pure gold for the editing and development side, because like, oh, okay, clearly we haven't communicated that, or we have an opportunity to make it even better. Um, so hats off to our playtesters. I think we had like 500 of them um, who, who hammered on almost every creature. The exceptions are the like CR27 demon lords where everybody was like, uh, <laughs> I don't have I don't, a party that can handle this. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think a couple other like late additions to the book didn't get full tested, but but there was a, a hefty dose of playtest um, that helps helps a lot. It's one of the things that I I like to do as much as possible with core mechanics like monsters and classes. Yeah, because everything is really well fleshed out. I mean, and, and then some of the, the new abilities that are in there for some of the stuff is just fun, you know. I mean, the clockwork, yeah. the fact that they have grease spray. You know, it's a basic mechanic, but, you know, as as a, a creature's ability, it's an awesome ability. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if 13 boxes of hit points with some damage, that's no fun. Yeah. 
No, this was a great opportunity to play with some uh, play with conventions and to and to just take ideas and see how we could get them on the game table. Yeah, I mean, personally, that's one thing I've noticed from fourth edition to fifth edition is fourth edition had a lot more options for creatures, it seems. But yeah. now with yours, you've you've fleshed back a lot of the monsters. Yeah, I mean, we try to keep them sleek. Yeah, but at CR twenty, it's hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Without yeah, a lot games. of these, a lot of these creatures are gonna. Uh, you know, it's certainly the higher CR ones, and then when you start add, adding in the legendary abilities, uh, a lot of these monsters are gonna take up a little more space on the page than some of the the very streamlined monster manual ones. And that's you know, that was a deliberate choice to to give you sort of a uh, just a little more meat to sink your teeth into when you're running an epic battle against the River King, you know. Yeah, because when when they're that high of creatures, they deserve the background story. Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah. if nothing so, else, it'll help your GM come up with stuff. Yeah, uh, all the legendaries have, yeah, a, a, a meaty section of lore, um, legendary actions, full range of abilities. I mean, there's plenty there to uh, to work with at the table. Um, but even some of the sort of mid-level CR 8, 9. Um, one of the things we got in feedback on the Devils, for instance, uh, Mike Shea playtested a bunch of those. He was running his party through um, through the layers of hell and said, hey, I need more Devils. Here you go. Test these out. Um, <laughs> we got them said, well, these, are, <laughs> these guys need some additional devilish abilities or something infernal. Um so we we have a couple of twists on that as well. So many devils in the book, and need another level of hell for them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Is there another category that I can talk about? Uh, I don't know. Dan, do you want to talk about the humanoids? Humanoids. Uh, Are you talking about just the the humanoid races that are sort of scattered around? Are we talking back in the yeah? I was thinking like back. Well, I don't know. You did the Shadow Fey write-ups, and then you did. The I did the Shadow Fey write-up, and they were they were a lot of fun. Sure, I can talk about some Shadow Fey. Um, <laughs> yeah, or the villain. So, they're both good. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we've talked a couple of times about how you know when you're doing a monster manual, a lot of a lot of the time it's just like, oh, here's a creature. It snarls. It tears at the ground. Roll initiative, right? It's nice. To, have, to, to reiterate something Wolfgang said earlier, it's nice to have monsters that can talk. And so you can have your fights with them, but then you can also build plots and locations around them. And, you know, we've mentioned Course of the Shadow Fey a few times. You can't do a fifth edition Course of the Shadow Fey if you can't populate it with Shadow Fey. Mm-hmm. So we've got that covered now as a, as a for instance, on the humanoids. And, and if you're going to play in the Midgard campaign setting, the Shadow Fae are just this whole other level of mystery and danger and mystique that sits over the whole world. And, you know, at some point, if you're going to do any world traveling, you're going to have to deal with them because they're the ones who control the magical roads and there's no teleporting in Midgard. So if you need to get somewhere magically in a hurry, you're going to have to deal with them. And, and maybe that means a fight or it means you're going to owe them. 
and they're going to come calling when it's time for you to pay up. And so we have uh, we have a, a variety of shadow fay that can fit uh, several different needs, similar to the way something like the drow are presented in the monster manual or uh, or any of those other humanoid races. So you have your basic shadow fay, and then you know we have a few other varieties like the duelist, who is more of a formidable one-on-one combatant who is steeped in the intrigue and danger of the courts and uh, is looking for any insult as an excuse to uh, cross swords with an insolent member of your party. Uh, There are the enchantresses who marshal forces of the Fae with their charm and turn allies against each other. So it just, it gives you a, a very wide palette to paint with. And, and one of the things we try to do with the monsters is give you an, as many ideas to build adventures and stories around, uh, even beyond just an encounter for combat. Yeah, I mean, you've got some. I mean, that and like like it was mentioned, the villain section. You know, there's some yeah. great villains in the back there. Yeah, the villain codex was was something that was extremely popular when we like proposed it, and at first it wasn't clear. Are they going to be unique named individuals? And we have a bunch of those, but uh, but the codex is meant to be a little more general. Like, a, um, you know, there are bandits in the monster manual, but there's no bandit lord. So let's let's give the bandits someone who's really a, a ringleader, somebody who can organize a whole group. There's others that are really pretty specific individuals, like a hellbound gnomish warlock type. Uh, but, you know, you meet a gnome, what do you think? Oh, he's going to be cheerful and play music and <laughs> jokes and cookery. And, you know, he's harmless. He's mostly harmless. Maybe some illusions, whatever. But this guy is, is just, you know, maybe that on the surface. But the whole time he's thinking, you know, I could kidnap that familiar and, and sacrifice it to my dark masters. Yes. Creepy <laughs> um, <laughs> <a> little hand-wringing. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you can just sort of see right where to go with this guy. Um, and there's others. There's a ghost knight. She's sort of looks undead and is in that sort of black knight, dark rider category, like, I don't know, Frank Frazetta art or something. Yeah, riding um, in the nightmare. Yeah, riding the nightmare. Um, and she's just she's just a badass, right? She can show up with any group of bad guys as the leader she could be the henchman to you know a wizard or spellcaster she fits into a lot of roles um and i think there's a clockwork city watchman in there too so anyway it's a variety of things it's about a dozen um much more npc like uh creatures in the appendix at the back yeah i kind of want to do a whole book of them (laughs) (laughs) that'd be fun so it's very similar to the appendix the humanoids kind of the NPC's appendix at the end of the, the official monster manual, but it takes a little bit less generic and more of a flavorful twist and approach to it. And, uh, it also kicks the CR up a little bit. So, you know, you've got things like your corrupted ogre chieftain at CR six, as mm-hmm. opposed to, you know, your lower challenge rating guardsmen and bandits from the monster manual. And it just, uh, it opens up your options in a lot of fun ways. And, uh, one thing that I was very pleased that Wolfgang let me, uh, include, is the very last page after the Villains Codex, there's an appendix of NPC features, and that uh, is is patterned off of a similar one in the Dungeon Master's Guide. And so this is just kind of a quick reference. You know, say you've got uh, a generic guardsman, but you don't want it to be a human the way it's presented in the Monster Manual. You want it to be a Derekul, because you're at a Derekul outpost in the, in the, in the tunnels. 
So there's an entry for Derekul here, and it gives you just at a quick glance what ability modifiers and traits do you need to add to the Guardsman to make it a Derekul instead of human. Definitely. <clears throat> Especially when it comes to stuff yeah. like the Shadow Fae, you know you're going to want to blend them in and pepper them through your game campaign. Yeah, right. Yeah. right. So it's it's another tool. I mean, we have a, an appendix of every monster by challenge <laughs> at the back as well. Which is super handy. PD- which is super handy. Um, and and in the PDF version, every single one of those names is hyperlinked, so it takes you right to their page, right? Oh, nice. And I, yeah, I can't tell you how handy it is. I mean, <laughs> I like PDFs sometimes, and I like the print book sometimes. But uh, it's just one of those useful tools when, when you're creating your own adventures. It's like, I just want this to be quick, um, hopping around the book. So, so it's meant to be a, a powerful reference tool that way. Yeah, that is super handy. Yeah, the table of contents is the same way at the front, right? It's like A to Z, but every entry there is linked as well. And there's a standard set of bookmarks and all that stuff. But, um, yeah, we weren't letting it go. I mean, once the page count reaches that point, you need that (laughs) stuff, right? Because it's just less easy to flip around. Um, In print, maybe it's a little faster to to get right to whatever letter you're trying to get to. Especially when you get that muscle memory in your book. (laughs) Yes, and once you know, oh, yeah, no, the Ds go on forever. Demon, devil, dinosaur, dragon. Oh, jeez, we're halfway through the book here, right? Yeah. What else do we want to talk about? We got kobolds. We can talk about them. Hey, I love the fact you added more kobolds, you know. (laughs) It was hard to resist. I was like, initially, let's do a dozen I think I was talked down to three or four. Well, you know, when you look at the 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 older editions of D and D compared to now, the Monster Manual had a bunch, uh, you know, a half dozen kobold variants. Because that way, yeah. it's more than just you have a chief and a bunch of little quarter CR kobolds to throw at. You know, I want my kobolds yep. to play skull skull. Damn it! <laughs> I, I want my kobold trap smith that'll booby trap the entire place so it's a death trap. Yep, got that. And the picture. Oh, you got you covered. <laughs> the picture of the chieftain is awesome. Yes, isn't that, that great? A, I yeah. So Brian Syme just crushed that one. That's so great. Yes, <laughs> I, mean, I we should talk about some of the artists. Like Brian Syme did a ton of the art and really nailed it on uh, the Cobalt and others. Um, Marcel Mercado did excellent work on a lot of pieces. Um, it's always hard to talk about the art uh, in a non-visual medium, but really, uh, there are previews available online uh, in a bunch of places. Geek and Sundry did a preview. Cobalt Press has some available. There's some on the page in the store, right? There's like six mm-hmm. monster previews, and you can just see what the the art is like for the Chained Angel um, mm-hmm. or Korgeth, the Demon Lord of Worms. That's the, that would to freak people just out. looking at him. <laughs> <laughs> The map yeah. mimic. Yeah. You don't want to be on uh, that road that, map. <laughs> that's a delightful one. <laughs> <laughs> it's just sort of an ecology entry, right? Here's part of the life cycle of the mimic. <laughs> so that's where the little baby starts at. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then it becomes a dune mimic. <laughs> yeah, an elder dune mimic. Those things... I, <laughs> if I'd had them in al I would have had a TPK every week, man. I would have just put those in from the start. 
sure. It's a sand dune. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, come on. It's desert. It's a desert campaign, guys. You got to get out in the sand. <laughs> no, not again. <laughs> it's like, nope, not going to go out there. <laughs> We're going to invent the flying carpet here at home. <laughs> They 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 stop trusting chests and dungeons and then they stop trusting terrain features everywhere else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then you know when it comes to them looting tombs, you've got the sarcophagus line that will keep them from opening any sarcophagus ever after after they get to one. Yes. Oh my goodness. <laughs> uh, everything about that monster is is awesome. Um, Chris Lockie wrote that. I think as a I can't remember if it was a contest entry or a backer entry. But, yeah, he, he took the classic, we're going to open the sarcophagus, we're opening the tomb, and turned it into, um, oh, yeah, it opens. Now oh. you're going to want to close it. <laughs> oh, dear God, what did I find? <laughs> yeah. Um, so one and place... I think the art helps. Oh, yeah, do, uh, you open this up and start looking at any creature, and you immediately want to use it. So you can just show the players that picture at some point of, this is what you find. Yes. Uh, one, one question my wife had when she was looking through this is, when it comes to the creative process, do you approach well, your artist with the concept of what you want them to draw, or do you have them just draw something and then you wrap the creature around the picture that you got? That's almost always the first option. Not in every single case, but most of the time. Um, the trouble is, of course, occasionally, like with Baba Yaga's Nights, uh, the description, the text changes uh, as a result of playtest feedback, but the art's already done. <laughs> so yeah. I think Baba Yaga's knights are described as having great axes, but it's like, well, one's got an axe and one has a sword and one has a bow or a lance. It's like, oh. yeah, there's there's a little bit of a two uh, two axis disparity there between the picture and the description and the actual stat block. I think the description says great swords. The picture has three different weapons, and then the stat block has yep. long swords and lances. Yeah, so it's like uh, we should fix that in the description at least. Um, yes, <laughs> but but those are the sorts of things, right? Like you get a late breaking playtest report, or the art is just so awesome that you don't realize it. Um, so, yeah, but generally the idea is the text is written, um, it goes to the artist, and the artist makes it look even more amazing than you imagined it, right? Because you think you know what the ghoul emperor should look like, but then the art comes back from, oh, Kieran Yanner did that one. He does art for Halo and Microsoft video games, and he's oh, wow. completely awesome. Amazing. Yeah, I mean... He knocked it out of the park. I'm like, well, this is the Ghoul Emperor, and I'm kind of scared. But I, you know, <laughs> yeah, I he looks and regal, and he looks mm -hmm. regal and unholy and terrifying, and and just a little bit hungry. <laughs> yeah, it looks like he knows just enough to mess you up, and uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, the description goes out, but the artist generally comes back with something visual that that just takes it to. Um, that to a point level. better than the designer. Yeah. yeah. Well, because, I mean, designers are text and rules people, right? Mm -hmm. um, I don't know, Dan. Do you think visually when you're designing a creature, really? Or are you thinking, like, um, numbers, abilities? Well, I, 
what happens. So I am I am highly cinematic and visual in my design process, which is actually why okay. I absolutely adored that you let me write the art briefs for the uh, yeah. for the the the, the Lords. So I'm maybe the uh-huh. bad example to use here for what you're talking about. <laughs> but uh, all right, so I'm a less visual designer. <laughs> when, when I start designing a monster, I kind of start with an image. Um, with you know, I'll go to novels that I've read or movies that I've seen or or video games that I've played, and I think of some iconic action piece or an image or something, right? Some some cool thing that hooks me into a monster idea, and then I kind of design around that. And, and you know, that'll have to change and polish as the process goes on. And I just kind of tap into that when it's time to write an art order, which uh, was was such a treat to get to do for, for some of the big critters I did in this book. Yeah, and, and to see the, the artist's interpretation of my words. Yes. Uh, I mean, they come in with sketches, and then they come in with a final. And uh, the art director, Mark Radel, um, I mean, he knew which artist to assign what piece because some people are great at, at at humans, or they're great at undead, and you know, artists specialize just like writers specialize. So, um, I, I think he really matched it up and, and brought in the goods. Yeah, get Mark on one of these interviews. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, we are too. I'd actually love to hear more about, you know, his his side of the process because I see the finished results, but I don't yeah. know too much about the alchemy that happens down in the Warrens when the stuff is is coming to fruition. So yeah, well, it's fairly mysterious. <laughs> <laughs> well, we got to start wrapping it up. Unfortunately, I'm pressed for time. All right, no problem. So, so uh, just as a ballpark, from start to finish for the project, about how much time was uh, the beast that was Tomb of Beasts? Wow. I want to say the better part of two years. Um, wow. Uh, that's... Kickstarter. Well, the Kickstarter was in November of last year, or October <laughs> and into November. But we already had a written. Good, a, yeah, a good bit of design yeah, was done like, by that time. Yeah, if it wasn't, it was like 250 or 300 monsters were done, and a bunch of them were already illustrated. And we'd yeah, a lot of art to pack it. Yeah, ready to go. So, so we didn't kickstart until we already had something. The thing is, it was such a success um, on the crowdfunding side that we said, okay, we can do 20 backer monsters. And by the way, you know, I'm going to write some, and we're going to add some Cthulhu Mythos monsters. Hey, we haven't even talked about those. Um, <laughs> Star Spawn of Cthulhu. And, yeah, and the Migo. The Migo for all your fungus needs. <laughs> yes, uh, your star-faring insectile fungus. Yeah, um, all of those. Uh, the folk of Lang. Oh my God, I had so much fun. Spiders of Lang. Um, yeah, but, you know, we added just a few at a time and a few at a time, and, hey, it's a stretch goal for six more, and, oh, by the way, the Villain Codex is another 12. Um, and and so we added about a third to 50% more to the total book, and and then that was, like, the next year of work, getting all the playtests and the layout, the, the art for the rest. So, yeah, it's about a two-year process uh, for a book this size. Well, in so little of time, you managed to come up with a great, fantastic product. Yeah, and, well, it doesn't feel like a little time. It feels like, <laughs> oh my goodness, we're finally here. <laughs> and don't forget the uh, Lair of Beasts, the awesome adventure book, too. Uh, yeah. The Book um, of Lairs, yes. 
it was such a pleasure to work on that with um, Sly Flourish, Mike Shea. Um, Steve Winter wrote a couple. I got to write a couple of layers. Um, we had Sean Merwin, uh, uh, James Sean H. Merwin. Yep, Greg Marks helped with a couple. Uh, Mike Wellam wrote one. Uh, he's mostly known for his Pathfinder stuff. No, actually, he wrote two or three. Um, but he came over to fifth edition and, and really did some cool stuff too. Um, so yeah, it was quite the list of, um, of Great. cool designers and cool one shot, one night, uh, adventures. And it was all edited by Kim Mohan, who is, you know, I don't know if people know him. He's like an editorial God at PSR, right? <laughs> he's the guy who edited Gary Gygax's work and that's for years. Herculean. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. It's like, okay, you you edited Gary Gygax in the 70s and 80s. All right, Kim, and you're willing to work on this book of layers. Cool. <laughs> you know, uh, what do I say? I say, go to it, and I look forward to reading the final. And yeah, the adventures turned out really well. They all have these gigantic maps uh, for for a virtual tabletop or a projector or printout, whatever. Um and they go from levels 1 to 15. So if you're just looking to drop in the Dark Druid Grove, we got that. we got a pirate area. We've got some Undead Aboleth. We've got... Yeah, it's uh, a huge void spread. dragons. Yeah, it's a real variety. So, um, so I know you are pressed in time, but i got two quick questions. One, sure. where can folks get a physical copy and a PDF of the, of the book? And two, okay. are there any shameless plugs you want to get out there for anybody? <laughs> uh, well, the best place to get the physical copy right now is at coboldpress.com. We have a store online, and you know we have inventory. We just finished getting it all out to backers and the pre-orders, and so now we're we're filling orders as they come in. It's gonna be on Amazon, but I gotta tell you, it takes a while to get there. Uh, but if you're willing to wait and maybe save a few bucks or combine shipping, uh, you can get it on Amazon in September. Uh, the PDF is only at the Cobalt site right now, but should be actually available on Paizo.com soon. Um, Ooh, helping with distrib- Yeah, I know. It's kind of weird, isn't it? But um, they're really good at shipping and customer service, and they're good partners for us to help with this. Yeah, they're, they're, they're awesome partners, uh, letting, you yeah. know, just allowing things outside of their own wheelhouse into their store and just being great about oh, yeah. that. They they carry you know Fantasy Flight and Wizards of the Coast and um, Pelgrain and Chaos. Uh, they have a game store that is everything. Uh, and the other place I would recommend people is your local game shop. It'll be there probably early September, maybe a little later than that for uh, outside the U.S. But um, it's That's available exciting. for distribution. Yeah, yeah. So it's everywhere. Um, and in terms of other things, I want to plug. <laughs> oh, I want to talk about deep magic for a second. It's not even about monsters, but it is a thing that Dan has contributed to. And it's the thing I love almost as much as monsters, which is magic. Uh, we're doing a series of PDFs on new schools, new traditions, new spells. Um, and the first three or four are out, which is clockwork magic, rune magic, um, and then Dan, you wrote Void Magic, which sort of ties in with Void, void Dragon. Yep. Do you want to talk about Void, void Dragon magic for a second? Sure. Void Magic is uh, so the concept is 
there's this mythological trope, right, that creation came about when words were spoken. And so there are these words of creation and words have power. Void magic is kind of the dark uh, between the lines of that. Void magic arises from void speech, which are sort of like the words of negation, uh, the, the dark reflection of the stuff that created everything. So it's very villainous sort of in tone and intent. But, you know, people love to, to dip their toe into the dark side a little bit and, mm-hmm. and try to use it for good reasons. And sometimes that works out okay-ish, and sometimes that works out really <laughs> awful. <laughs> and, uh, so Void Magic is all about giving, you know, G- DMs and players the option to do that, to either go full bore dark side or to mix some gray into their palette. Um, and, and so that it has the void speaker arcane tradition for wizards. It has feats that let people dabble in void magic without going full bore into the, the subclass. It has new spells. Uh, it has lore surrounding it, some ties into Midgard and some uh, freaky void loving creatures like the Aboleths. Uh, they have a little history with void glyphs. And, uh, you know, taking the stuff of uh, just the, the, the stuff of unlife and uncreation and setting it down in written form and all the fun you can have with that. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, imagine magic where you speak the words of it and glass cracks and water spoils and people get spontaneous nosebleeds and, <laughs> you know. <laughs> That's it. I mean, it's, it's a blast. I, I love giving my villains things like that, that everybody's like, wait, what the hell was that? What, what just happened? Right. Um, it's the discovery. Some of it's, yeah, it's the discovery. It's like, all right, the whole party has spontaneous nosebleeds. What? Yeah. And this <laughs> yeah. weird, strange wizard has walked into the bar. What? <laughs> and yeah, this, all this wizard was black eyed in rooms. Yeah. <laughs> that's always a good sign. Yeah. He yeah, speaks, that's and now you're deaf, but you can still hear his strange chanting that makes your ears burn. <laughs> like, oh, good. Can we roll for an yeah. now, or should we wait a minute? <laughs> this will go well. <laughs> so, yeah, that's what we're doing with magic. We're, we've got a whole series of these. There's more to come. Um, um, and, and I'm... I'm all excited about it because it's what's next. Whereas like with the Book of Lairs and the Tome of Beasts, I'm like, oh, thank goodness. It's complete. We can share it with the world. It's out there. Um, you know, the creative process, the moment mm-hmm. you're done with something, it's like, what will I do next? Speed <laughs> so, magic. That's, That's going to be awesome. Yeah. Uh, quick question about uh, products, Wolfgang, on the Tome of Beasts. Uh, so I'm staring at this gorgeous black leather, very dark blue leather cover with the gold foil stamp. Is that a Kickstarter exclusive? Or it those, is. That is. Uh, those copies that's the limited edition. Here. Ah, excellent. Okay. Uh, I actually have a few extras because every time there's a Kickstarter, invariably some of the limited edition special ones get damaged in transit or get lost in the mail or something happens, right? Mm-hmm. So sure. I, I have like five extras and chances are they will be prizes in a contest at cobalt.com or I will give them to a charity auction because um, people ask for that or prize support for a convention, that kind of thing. Um, but they're not for sale. Dude, that, Got is, it. that is a good Got teaser. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, we're actually also doing, oh my God, I don't know how much you can edit all this out if you want. <laughs> yeah. 
I'm cool with leaving it a, in. <laughs> all right. There's a super special edition of the Tome of Beasts that is, I'm calling it the Basilisk Hide Edition. And it's hand-sewn covers and, uh, well, it's real leather and it's real exotic leather. We have a, a bit of basilisk hide and we have something that looks more like phoenix skin. And I'm going to try to share some photos of these super... <laughs> super rare there's like four volumes that backers uh who who really back the project crazy mm-hmm. high um yeah. are getting and it's all hand done work with you know 15 wow. bookmarks in it and crazy end papers and more gilding than you know what to do with right so <laughs> they're beautiful editions and we've done a couple of these for past cobalt press kickstarters like deep magic has uh the pathfinder edition of deep magic or the southlands book have these sorts of editions and yeah i'm always really happy to see how they turn out but i sort of turn them over to the bookbinder and say okay i want it to be this and this and here's the budget for materials and he just kind of comes he's an artist right i mean yeah um you don't think of bookbinders in that way but i mean there was a time when that's the way people did their books right yeah that was that was high art yeah 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 well, this guy's still got the high art, and I hope he has an apprentice to carry on the tradition because, you know, most of his work is rebinding um, people's Mark Twain editions from 1850 or their family Bible or, or some book that's personally important to them. But every time I show up, I tell him something like, okay, this needs to look like an ancient grimoire, right? Or <laughs> yeah, it needs to look like it came from Baghdad at the height of, you know, Arabic world influence and medicine and all that right mm-hmm. like okay um or this needs to look like a, a tome of beasts it needs to look like somebody killed a dragon and took its <laughs> skin and bound this book in it it's like okay <laughs> i can do that <laughs> i so cannot I wait to see pictures of those yeah that's freaking fantastic yeah i'm gonna post the probably post them on the kickstarter but i'll share them on uh well there's a a Cobalt Press Facebook page and our blog. It'll get shared around if it turns out as well as I hope. Um, Cause yeah, they're just cool to look at. And you know, some, some lucky game masters get to say, all right, I'm bringing out my new monster manual. Bud. <laughs> and then immediately <laughs> that, I had to, that I had to slay a dragon to bind. So that's up. right. <laughs> Found it down at the, the wizard's black market and look at it. You're in um, trouble, guys. Unfortunately, Game Night's put on a pause as everyone wants to fondle and, and look at it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Everybody show up early to ogle the book. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's like, well, it's sort of like a handout, a prop, a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and and if you can pull that off, more power to you. Actually, the Chaosium Horror on the Orient Express did something like this, right? They didn't buy in the book. They gave you passports, tickets to the train, all these crazy handouts in their Kickstarter last year, I guess. Mm-hmm. When I open that box, I'm like, okay, I'm running this game. Cause <laughs> look at these props. And I want to say, here's your passport. <laughs> Good luck on the train. Handouts. <laughs> <laughs> handouts are cool. So, oh, and we have pawns. We have cardboard stand-ups for the Toma Bees. Oh, yeah. Yes, yes. Um, which are super thick cardboard printed on both sides. And you basically... Mm-hmm stick them in a stand and you know it would be nice to have minis for all of these and I, I hope 
we have a deal with a miniatures company to produce some of the monsters from Toma Beasts as uh, metal miniatures, but it won't be all of them. And the Pawns collection is 300 creatures, and it's available right now. So yeah, and it's it's gorgeous artwork on that too. Table. So. By the way, just want to say thank you guys for both coming on the Creative Plane Podcast Network. Thank you for all the work that your entire crew has done for the Tomb of Beasts because my players will definitely be on the uh, receiving end of it. And they will be moaning and looking and complaining and loving the book. I mean, my my, my local friend runs a game store. I've already told him I'm going to be coming in on Saturday and dropping this on his counter to look at. Just in case he hasn't pre-ordered it, just drop it down in front of him and just walk away for an hour. So, and that'll wake him up. <laughs> yeah. Kaboom. Great. And Wolfgang. Yeah, we and... tried real hard to get the word out, and so thank you for for bringing us on. Oh, definitely. Yeah, thanks for having us on. It's always such a privilege to be on be on shows like this and, and get to get to talk about it and geek out about what I love. And this is yeah, I don't even know what to do with myself. All right. <laughs> and and if you guys happen to have some free time, I do issue you guys the RPG a day challenge. If you guys are doing it or not, I'm not sure if you. Uh, I haven't seen anything on Cobalt Press yet. No, no, we uh, haven't. I, I haven't caught wind of this particular challenge. <laughs> uh, the RPG Day a Day Challenge has been going on for like two or three years. It's basically each day yeah. just doing a quick blog or something about some aspect of RPGs. And then hmm. when you do it, you just hashtag RPG a Day 2016. So that way uh-huh. uh, gamers across the world can just put in that hashtag and find stuff. Cool. All right, I'll check it so out. If you get a chance, check it out. Yeah, yeah, all you have to do is like Google, yeah. and the picture will come up with all the month of August's questions for this year. Okay, all right. interesting. Yeah, I'll take a look at it. All right, cool guys, and thank you again for being on the show. Hey, thanks, thanks for, for having, having us. us. That was pretty good, you know, simultaneous there. <laughs> <laughs> we practice. It's like we've been working together for ages. All right, <laughs> yeah. uh, now I really got to run, or I'm I'm just gonna be late. All but, right, the, uh, the, I had thank, a great time. definitely. Thank we'll do you it again. Throw me the link. All right, cool. All right. You got it. Later. All right, have a good night, guys. Night. Or evening. Have a good one. All right, bye. Thanks so much. Bye. And like always, guys, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to D&D Journey of the 5th Edition, a member of the Creative Play and Podcast Network. And remember, be careful out there. There be dragons about. Hey guys, Jim here again. And if you get a chance, on Indiegogo, we are looking for some help to get Season 3 off the ground. If you go to Indiegogo, look up Help Creative Play and Podcast Make Season 3 Great. Alright guys, and thank you for any help you can provide.